Hey everybody, welcome to Offbeat Wall Street. I'm Frank Miller. Every week we wage our battle to destroy the evil forces of bad investing. Hmm. Eh, well, in any case, we'll fight alien invasions, shark monsters, and giant plant-eating robots, all in an effort to bring you the best information about Wall Street and the financial markets. So, the latest installment of Michael Bay's Transformers series is out. I think that's number 8, or 12, or 41, I don't know. But we're paying tribute to the one and only original Transformers movie, the 1980s cartoon version. Spoil alert, yeah, you know the one where all the Transformers that you actually grew up with and watched on TV for years got slaughtered in the first five minutes? Just so they could introduce all the new toys and resell all those to you? Yeah, that's the one we're talking about. <laughs> and with that in mind, we're looking at an economy that might be transforming. Updated stats about economic growth are coming out. We'll bring you up to date on the current trends and preview what to expect. We'll also take a deep dive into some recent info about a couple of key sectors. Some big stats are due out about the housing and bank sectors. We'll look at how those will affect the overall economic picture. We'll also take an early peek at the jobs numbers due out early next month. We'll review recent employment trends and see how it might impact upcoming Fed policy. And as always, we disguise ourselves as some of Wall Street's stranger vehicles. This week, we've got a shortage of a key ingredient in everyone's third favorite ice cream flavor. We've got a baby born on an international flight, and he's got a pretty good first birthday present to boot. We've got a woman killed by whipped cream. Hmm. And a high-profile TV host getting sued. We've got millions of dollars in change left behind at airport security. And we've got a way that George R.R. Martin might be able to get his say back in Game of Thrones. Eventually, maybe. Well, this is the uh, Light Our Darkest Hour episode of Offbeat Wall Street. Uh, 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 Ultra Magnus, it, it is to you, old friend. I shall pass the matrix of leadership as it was passed to me. But Prime, I'm I'm just a soldier. I I'm not worthy. Uh, nor was I. But one day, an Autobot shall rise from our ranks and use the power of the matrix to light our darkest hour. Just as an aside, Bumblebee is a Volkswagen Beetle, not a Camaro. Just saying. Anyway, this week we get our last look at economic performance for the first three months of the year. The government's set to release its last revision for first quarter gross domestic product. Now, last month, updated stats show that the economy grew more than we originally thought in the January to March period. However, growth was still relatively weak, a worrisome sign with the Fed raising interest rates. The U.S. Commerce Department said that GDP climbed 1.2% in the first quarter. That was an upward revision from the 7 tenths of a percent growth that was originally reported in April. The initial estimate put GDP growth at its lowest pace in three years. The upgraded stats, though, were a bit better. The rate of expansion, though, was still the slowest since the first quarter of 2016. And even with the upward revision, growth in the first three months of the year was still notably slower than what was seen at the tail end of 2016. Last year's fourth quarter experienced 2.1% growth. That's a little bit above the recent average since the fourth quarter of 2014, or 2014 if you will. The uh, average quarterly growth rate had been about 1.9%. Only once in that time span has growth topped 3%. Developing countries like China, India, and the Philippines each posted growth of more than 6% in the first quarter. But the sub-3% growth is not unusual among developed countries. For instance, the UK had 2.1% growth on an annualized basis. 
Taking a look at a bit of uh, fresher economic data, some two key sectors have been in the spotlight lately. Important infos come out for both the housing and bank sectors. First, let's take a look at the housing market. The National Association of Realtors released its figures on sales of previously owned homes. The stat, appropriately known as existing home sales, climbed by 1.1% in May. This brought the annual pace of sales to 5.62 million homes. The advance followed a drop of 2.5% in April. That rebound surprised economists who had expected existing home sales to edge down to an annual rate of 5.55 million homes. The NAR said that the expected increase, inventories remain low though, leading to a challenging market condition in many areas. Basically, people looking for a home are, well, they're having trouble finding one. But a recent dip in mortgage rates is helping to sustain the market. A second report about the housing market held a similar tale. The government released stats showing a 2.9% increase in new home sales for May. That brought the pace of sales up to 610,000, which was above what economists were expecting. Also, last week's figures were revised notably higher. All right, now on to the bank sector. The Federal Reserve recently ran its annual stress test of the biggest banks in the country. The Fed looked at the books of the 34 biggest banks operating in the U.S. The goal was to see whether they could stand up to an economic shock. This time around, every bank got passing grades. Morgan Stanley got dinged for leverage issues, but still topped the minimum threshold. The stress test found that in a worst-case economic crash, the big banks would lose about $383 billion in banned loans. The biggest projected loser, Bank of America, which would project to lose $26.4 billion in such a scenario. Ouch. Don't act hostile. I'll use the universal greeting. Universal greeting? Watch. I'll have an idiot out of my hand. Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. See, the universal greeting works every time. Well, the real test of the economy will come next week when the government releases its latest data on job creation. The last employment report showed weaker than expected growth. Even so, the unemployment rate dipped to its lowest level in more than a decade and a half. The data showed the economy added 138,000 jobs in May. That was below the 185,000 that had been predicted. It was also a notable slowdown from the previous month when payrolls expanded by 174,000. The number itself was a downward revision from the previous month. The April job growth was originally reported at 211,000. While May's job growth was weak, the unemployment rate unexpectedly fell. It touched 4.3%, its lowest level since May 2001. In our last episode, we went into some depth about the context of that number. Well, if you want details, again, go back and play it. We're not going to go through all that again. The short version is that uh, 2001 was a different time. Let's leave it at that. At that point, 4.3% unemployment was relatively high. The period between late 1998 and June of 2001 never saw a figure above 4.4%. But that 4.3% also marked the first step toward recession. Within two years, the jobless rate would reach 6.3%. Meanwhile, at the time, a larger portion of the population was in the labor force. Labor participation in May of 2001 was 66.7%. Now it's at 62.7%. And that's just off a decades-long low of 62.4% that was seen in late 2015. The reading was the lowest since 1977. 
It's doubtful that the next employment report will clear up this tangle. It takes a little more than a month to make a trend, and we're not likely to get a huge surge in job growth or even a spike in the unemployment rate. And the murkier economic outlook is made even spookier by the fact that the Fed is in the middle of a rate-hiking cycle. Higher interest rates are supposed to slow the economy down, and usually rate increases would come when economic growth is getting too hot and risks of inflation were relatively high. But the Fed kept interest rates at essentially zero for years after the financial crisis in an effort to avoid a fallback into an even bigger recession. The economy was never strong enough for a large blinking rate hike sign, but the Fed couldn't stay at zero forever, so it started edging rates higher, including a hike at its last meeting earlier this month. On June 14th, the Fed pushed rates higher for the third time in three months, even despite the signs of a cooling U.S. economy. The central bank's so-called dot plot shows one more hike in 2017 and three more next year. However, the Fed's accompanying statement offered little indication that they plan to raise interest rates again this summer. Traders don't see another rate hike happening until the end of the year, if one happens at all. Now, currently, trading in the Fed fund futures suggests oh, a 100% chance that the Fed will leave rates alone at its next meeting, which is set for July. That's according to the CME's FedWatch tool. If you're a gambling person, you might want to take that bet. <laughs> Seems pretty sure, but hey, you never know. The Fed is expected to stand pat again at its following meeting, which is set for September. Traders are pricing in about an 84% chance that rates will remain the same through that meeting. Chances are similar that rates will hold steady at the November meeting as well. The likelihood that there will be another rate hike doesn't get close to 50-50 until December. Traders are currently pricing in about a 48% chance of a rate hike by the end of that meeting. So I guess that's not 50-50, that's 48-52. Just saying. I will provide you with a new body and new troops to command. And? And nothing. You belong to me. No. I belong to nobody! Perhaps I misjudged you. Proceed on your way to oblivion. Oh, in case you were wondering, uh, yes, uh, that was Orson Welles, you know, of Rosebud fame. Uh, he voiced the part of Unicron, you know, the planet killer, in the original and, uh, may I say best, Transformers movie. It was his final film role, by the way. He died just five days after recording his last voice session for the movie. So he started his Hollywood career with Citizen Kane and ended it with the Transformers. Okay, seems about right. Some other voices, by the way, featured in the movie included Judd Nelson, Robert Stack, and Leonard Nimoy. Spared no expense. <laughs> anyway, as you know, each week we like to wander off the beaten path just a little bit, take a look at some money stories that aren't exactly, well, Wall Street-related. Time now for a few of our quick hits. Duck and cover. <laughs> Hey, you may not have noticed it, but we're uh, in a bit of a vanilla shortage right now, believe it or not. While we generally associate vanilla with the idea of bland, uh, it's now something becoming of a luxury item. It's uh, currently the second most expensive spice next to saffron. There's a lack of natural vanilla beans, which has sent prices astronomically high. CBS News reported that vanilla now costs more than $200 per pound. <laughs> no fake news there. That compares to a low of $11 a pound in 2011. Now, the vanilla shortage comes amid droughts and cyclones that has pretty much wiped out 30% of the crop. Most of the world's vanilla beans are grown in the African island of Madagascar. Moving on, well, you've heard about frequent flyers. Well, here's a next-level airline passenger. A baby born aboard a Jet Airways flight from Saudi Arabia to India has received his first birthday gift. No, it wasn't one of those uh, clip-on pilot wings. The airline actually gave him free lifetime air tickets. 
Wow, the child's mother went into premature labor at an altitude of 35,000 feet on a flight with 162 passengers on board. She delivered the baby with the help of airline crew and a passenger who was a trained paramedic. How lucky is that? The flight was diverted to Mumbai where the mother and baby were rushed to a local hospital and were said to be doing well. I think it might be time to book a flight about nine months from now. Hmm, I need to call my wife after the show. Anyway, hey, from a strange birth to a strange death, a popular French fitness blogger met her end in a, well, a bizarre way. Social networking star Rebecca Berger died when a whipped cream dispenser exploded and hit her chest. Officials said that cardiac arrest subsequent to the sudden explosion was the reason for her death. She was just 33 years old. According to reports, faulty connectors on the gas capsules can act as a projectile. You can insert your own comments here. This is a tough enough transition, so let's just keep moving. Well, going from a real-life death to allegations of a murder of someone's reputation. Well, it appears that John Oliver has opened up a feud with a a big shot. Appears that John Oliver has opened up a feud with a big shot in the coal industry. The host of Last Week Tonight was sued along with his employers, HBO and Time Warner. The complaint was brought by coal baron Robert Murray and stems from Oliver's mocking treatment of Murray and his coal company on a recent episode of the show. The suit alleges an attempt to, quote, assassinate, unquote, Murray's character. Murray Energy is the nation's largest privately owned coal company. Well, from coal to copper, nickel and zinc, according to the TSA, all the nickels, dimes, and quarters that travelers forget to collect at airport security checkpoints added up to a nearly million dollars last year. Specifically, the TSA said it collected more than $867,812 in change that passengers forgot to collect from bins after security checks in 2016. That pro... That topped the previous record of $765,759 collected in 2015. This brings the TSA's total coin collection to over $5.1 million since 2008. And in related news, there. And in related news, shares of Coinstar have spiked. Now, well, anyway, finally, uh, are you still mad that Ned Stark died? Sorry, spoilers. You think you got a better way to kill off Walter White? Uh, spoilers again. <laughs> well, TV might be moving in your direction. It appears that Netflix is launching shows that allow viewers to shape the narratives. Hmm, maybe uh, CNN ought to give it a try. This uh, choose-your-own-adventure-type story uh, includes interactive branching that allows people at home to pick what happens next. For now, it's just for the kids' shows. The first programs using this feature are going to be Puss in Boots and Buddy Thunderstruck. Maybe HBO will have it by the eighth season of Game of Thrones, and maybe by then George R.R. R. Martin can once again have some say in what happens to his characters. <laughs> Where'd you learn to talk like that? TV. We talk TV. You talk some TV. I talk some TV. And now the news. Don't touch that dial. Hey, thank you very much, everybody. This has been Offbeat Wall Street. If you like the show, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher and subscribe. While you're there, rate and review the show. Good ratings help others discover it. Also, make sure you let all your friends know it is very helpful. Check out our website at offbeatwallstreet.com. Follow us on Twitter at offbeatwallstreetst, like you see on the street signs. And, of course, a thanks to the big BS, Brian Stewart, for shoveling all these fine words and co-production onto the podcast. You know, it does smell slightly. A special thanks also to our good friends at RTT News for a lot of the news and stats used on the show. So, for up-to-date info on the markets, check them out, rttnews.com. 
NBA.com. And as we say goodbye, uh, we'll just take a quick look back at the recent NBA draft. You know, every draft day in recent years, there's been uh, swirling rumors of the deal Celtics GM Danny Ainge is about to do, only he never does any of them. Well, this one's for you, Danny. Your bargaining posture is highly dubious. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody.